Welcome to the St. Andrew's Sunday Morning Sermon Podcast. You can connect with us online at www.gosaintandrew.com. The Gospel according to John is unique among the Gospels, both in content and style. It is a majestic work of art. By any account, one of the great masterpieces of ancient literature. As religious literature, it transcends categories. John is a traditional favorite of both mystics and philosophers due to its obvious appeal to both heart and mind. Some scholars maintain that the meaning of this gospel is so deep and at times so elusive that one can study the book for decades and still discover levels of thinking not noticed before. While there is some debate about the date John's gospel appeared, most agree that it was written between 90 and 110 CE. The gospel is organized into two distinct sections. After a brief prologue in chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, the first section, called the Book of Signs, covers chapter 1, verse 19 through chapter 12, verse 50. This first section relates stories of remarkable things Jesus did which are repeatedly called signs. In fact, the Greek word for signs, semia, is used 16 times in this section. Next, in chapter 13, verse 1, through chapter 20, verse 31, we find what is called the Book of Glory, named as such because it deals with the last week of Jesus' life when, in the words of the Gospel, the time for Jesus to be glorified had come. Finally, the gospel ends with a short epilogue in chapter 21, verses 1 through 25. In our reading this morning from chapter 1, we find this peculiar character, John the Baptist, in the small town of Bethany, baptizing all sorts of people in the River Jordan. Now, John does not claim to be any Messiah. That guy will come around later. Rather, John claims that he is simply one that is crying out in the wilderness, making straight the way of the Lord. Then one day, this man strolls by in the crowd. Looking up, John yells out, Here, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the guy that I told you about. The next day, the man appears again. And when people start to follow him, he turns and asks a simple, profound question. Let's hear about what happens next. Today's reading is from John chapter 1, verses 35 through 39 from the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples. And as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. What are you looking for? Jesus said, what are you looking for? Can you imagine walking behind Jesus and then he turns and he asks, what are you looking for? How would you answer Jesus? 
I asked my friends on Facebook and here are some of their answers. You, whatever you're looking for, relief, to be more like you. Could you please erase my memory of all the horrible things I did? Peace, wisdom, comfort from my head, the ability to easily forgive my enemies, help, answers, how to see you, how to find you when I don't sense your presence. Then there were a few humorous ones. A non-religious friend of mine wrote, not looking, J-Man, just enjoy following you. I enjoy your company. I feel safe when you're around. A rabbi wrote, a place to rest my head and take a serious nap. My lost shaker is salt. Some good fish. Diet Coke. I could definitely agree with this one, especially in 4 BC. What are you looking for? Are you looking for one of these from Jesus? The, the serious ones, not the shaker of salt ones. Author and mentor Stephen Fees writes, we're all looking for something in life. You are looking for something in life. And at your core, there is a driving force causing you to pursue it. The question remains, what exactly are you looking for and why? This is a question worth answering because it provides deep insight into what brings you meaning in life. It is the key to understand what truly motivates you. Yet not everyone has answered this question, at least not beyond a superficial degree. Okay, let's back up. The Israelites were waiting for the Messiah, the chosen one, to make life better, to fight their battles, to be their strong king. They had waited a long, long time for their Messiah. Fast forward to 4 BC, or as the scholars call it now, BCE, before the Common Era. John the Baptist is born. He becomes a big deal. He has followers and disciples, and we learn earlier in this chapter that the Pharisees come asking him who he is and what he's been up to. He makes it clear that he's not the man. He's there to prepare the way for the man, to point the way to him. I don't know if his disciples were just waiting for the man to appear or if they were content being a disciple of John the Baptist. Was he prepping them, saying, I'm not the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, but that person is coming? Were they prepared for Jesus to arrive? Our scripture says that John was hanging out with two of his disciples when he spots Jesus, who he had just baptized, and he exclaimed, Look, here is the Lamb of God. His friends, one being Andrew, our namesake, they drop what they're doing and they follow Jesus. It's like John gave them permission to not follow him anymore, but rather to become disciples of Jesus. Jesus was fresh on the scene. What was he like? Did he humbly walk by? 
Did he walk with his head held high as he walked by John the Baptist? Did he give him a little head nod? What's up, man? And keep walking? In the Gospel of John, words aren't just words. They have multiple meanings. So Jesus' question means a few different things. Andrew's reply can mean a multiple things. And then Jesus' answer to Andrew, come and see, definitely means a few things. Let's take this exchange one sentence at a time. Jesus asks Andrew and his companion, what are you looking for? Now, this is not a casual question. Jesus was asking, what are you really looking for in life? What do you really want out of life? Andrew, what is the core of what you need to make you happy and contented? What are you looking for? And Andrew responds with his own question. Where are you staying? That question doesn't mean are you staying at the Hilton or are you staying at the Days Inn? Let's look at the Greek word for stay, which is many. Which means where do you abide because we want to be with you. Jesus answers, come and see. The word see is meaningful. The Greek word doesn't mean to come and physically see. It means spiritual insight. Do you see can mean sight. Do you see can mean insight. Jesus was saying, come and see what you're really looking for. Again, I wonder if John's disciples were content following him around and felt that they were helping the poor and they were cleansing people through baptism. Was it satisfying or did it just feel like a placeholder? Most of us have been in that place in life, right? Where we had a, jo a placeholder job or a placeholder apartment or a placeholder town or city or state a placeholder friend or boyfriend, I know that one's a little touchy. I was there for two years. I had left college, I worked a variety of jobs, I lived in a variety of places. I had lost my compass for life. So many of us start our, our college life with the career plan that we're gonna go into, and then we fail the first test in biology or a class. I had several sorority sisters that wanted to be nurses until they took biology for majors. Dun, dun, dun. For me, I wanted to be on Broadway. I got to Florida State and I realized, wow, I'm really not good enough to justify spending my life in New York waiting tables and not making it big. So I regrouped. I switched to poli sci. Because of the switch out of the fine arts department, I was able to join a sorority and go to football games, so it wasn't all bad. I lost my compass, though, and my passion. After two years at school, not loving my new path, my parents divorcing, my boyfriend falling back in love with his old flame, I left school. I became a nanny in New York for one week then a nanny in Boston for six months. Then I made my way back home to Fort Lauderdale. I lived in an apartment with my sister and my dad. 
I waited tables. I worked at the Performing Arts Center in town. And then I ended up working as a receptionist at a general surgeon's office. The worst job ever. At 21, I had bills and debt. I had a nine to five job I hated. I had a placeholder job, a placeholder residence, a placeholder city that I never liked living in. I always wanted seasons and sweater weather. I wanted snow. I wanted to not be stuck in my hometown forever. And that's exactly how I felt. I remember coming home one evening after being out and a friend had left a note for me that said something like, you're not acting like the girl I know and really like. I don't know who you are anymore. That hurt. I was so lost. I started attending a Methodist church that had a Saturday night service and I would go there before going out for the evening. I met the band and I started singing with them. I had missed singing. I grew up singing in church in a youth choir and I loved it. I did musicals with them and I went on choir tours around the country and to the UK. But I'd gotten far away from all of that until I started singing at Christ Church in Fort Lauderdale. I heard a song one day called The Potter's Hand that said, you gently call me into your presence, guiding me by your Holy Spirit. Teach me, dear Lord, to live all of my life through your eyes. I'm captured by your holy calling. Set me apart. Lead me, Lord, I pray. Take me, mold me, use me. I give my life to the potter's hand. When I started college, I had every intention of going to church, of finding the right place where I could continue to follow Jesus in community. I didn't know that the United Methodist Wesley Foundation was right next door to my sorority house. It looked like a bomb shelter. And at the time I was Presbyterian, so I, I totally missed out on the Wesley. I lost my compass of my career goals and my tangible tether to Jesus. Jesus was still there, but I couldn't feel him. I started attending Christ Church because I missed church and my dad had started working there. So I gave it a try. And I feel like Jesus saw me following him. And he asked, what are you looking for? What was I looking for? I was looking for my life to start, for my placeholders to be replaced with my real forever love of my life and the best job ever and a place with snow. I was also looking for Jesus to reconnect the tangible tether to me so I could feel him close so I could get on a path that helped me learn from him, be more like him, love others like he did and does. The more I sang at Christ Church helping lead worship and then joining a small group of 20-somethings and then listening to contemporary Christian music, I heard Jesus. I, 
I felt Jesus. I asked, where are you? Where do you abide, live, stay? And Jesus said, come and see. Jesus abides in us. Jesus abides in everyone we see. And Jesus invited Andrew and he invites us to come and spiritually see how Jesus works and moves, loves, forgives, and saves. I'm reading a book with my life group called Freeing Jesus. The author, Diana Butler Bass, writes about how even though Jesus is the same today as yesterday as tomorrow, we change and our view of Jesus changes and our need for Jesus as friend or teacher or savior changes as we grow. And that Jesus is up for the challenge to be who we need Jesus to be for us. Friend when we're young, teacher when we're a little older, savior always. She writes that twice the Bible says Jesus saves. She says it doesn't mean what we think it means, though. The Greek word used for salvation is salvus, which doesn't mean rescued. It means to be made whole, uninjured, safe, and in good health. Salvus was not about take, being taken out of this life. It was about this life being healed. In this sense, Salvus perfectly describes the biblical vision of God's justice and mercy, peace and well-being, comfort and equanimity. Does it sound like that list from Facebook of what we're looking for? Diana Butler Bass goes on, this is the dream of a saved earth, one where oppression ends, mercy reigns, Violence ceases to exist and all live safely under their own vine and fig tree. Jesus, the Savior, is the one who brings this dream to reality. He is the peacemaker, light of justice, and the good physician. Jesus saves in all of these ways and more. Do you have placeholders in your life? your job, your home, your fill-in-the-blank? Have you lost your compass like I did so many years ago and occasionally find it under the couch because I tried to go it alone? Are you hanging out with or following an understudy to Jesus, which can be whatever else is important to you that isn't Jesus? If any of these are true, I invite you to come and see. Reconnect with Jesus through our small groups or through making sandwiches for those without homes and taking lunch to them or being a part of our choir that is an incredible community in and of itself where you will see Jesus. Jesus is here with you and with me in the waiting and in the searching, in the healing and the hurting. 
like a blessing buried in a broken pieces. Every minute, every moment, where you've been and where you're going, even when you didn't know it or couldn't see it, there was Jesus asking, come and see. Every time I try to make it on my own Every time I try to stand I start to fall And all those lonely roads that I have traveled on There was Jesus When the life I built came crashing to the ground When the friends I had nowhere to be found I couldn't see it then, but I can see it now There was Jesus In the way, in the searching There 
Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. And if you'd like more information, go to www.gosaintandrew.com. See you next week.